The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Well, um, this summer, I don't know about what your summer was like as it's kind of coming to a close. Mine was full of camps and sports and those kind of things. And... um, Probably the biggest one for our family is baseball and takes up a lot of that space and it's a lot of fun and gets to see both my boys do it, particularly my older son, Jake, who um, is on, you know, plays throughout the summer and those kind of things. I remember uh, sitting after a particular game talking to a dad who's also a coach and we were just kind of talking about like the pressures of sports for uh, younger generations and what it's like. And one of the positions, particularly in baseball, uh, that you see this with is pitching. Uh, Pitching is such a a unique thing. And I know it's funny to talk about, it's like, they just throw the ball really hard. But really, it's not that. It's not so much um, just throwing the ball uh, in terms of perfect form or strength or speed. It's also about how you maintain when things go wrong. (laughs) Um, Because Inevitably, there's something that happens when you're pitching. It's so mental. So, you know, for instance, you're pitching. You maybe get a strike or something there. You throw a ball, maybe a wild pitch. And then you start to notice little things that can happen that can unravel. And this happens to so many, so many kids. You can watch it online or whatever. But, you know, maybe you hit a batter. And all of a sudden, you're looking around. And as, as the pitcher, the, maybe the bases are loaded Uh, there's only maybe one out, and you feel just the pressure of everything just falling apart. (laughs) It is so mental. And I was talking to this coach, uh, again, who's also a dad, and just saying, man, just the pressure of that. Like, how do we, and you know, the rain of of encouragements during pitching and during a baseball game, hey, you got this, slough it up, you know, move to the next batter, no, 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 you know, you kind of have those kind of discussions because it's so easy in those moments to lose heart, to kind of just shut down and kind of move on and not be able to move on because everything's closing in. Uh, my wife, Megan, sent me an article recently uh, from the Wall Street Journal that was really interesting. And I really appreciated it. It was uh, talking about how so many middle-aged people have left the church, middle-aged being me, (laughs) uh, and uh, my generation, uh, Generation X. And 
why. And there were a lot of things in it, uh, particularly, though, about how this generation, our generation, grew up with so much maybe the church and those kind of things, but through COVID, through uh, seeing injustices, through um, other things, felt like, what's the point? And walking away was pretty easy. And it wasn't just like one thing, it was a losing of heart. And that's what it is. It didn't actually say that in the article, but that's really what it is, losing heart. It's, all, it's really nice when Jesus begins a parable or any passage when he basically wants you to know exactly what you want you, he wants you to know. Isn't that great? Because that's what happens in this passage. He begins the whole parable by saying, hey, this is what I want you to learn from what I'm about to say. <laughs> it's like, thank you for making it easy. He said, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. For some of us, when we hear that, I think it's interesting, the connection of and not lose heart, but to pray. And we may run quickly to the discipline of prayer or something like that. But I want you to know, as we walk through this parable together, he does nothing about the discipline of prayer. He moves more to what is the person we're praying to. That prayer and losing heart have a deep, profound connection Not because we need to work harder at it, but because we may have forgotten who we're in relationship with. And so that's where he goes here. And we're going to look at this parable in in two parts. We're going to look at a parable of the person of prayer and the power of prayer. And and I want to remind you, a parable is not like an allegory. An allegory is like uh, Pilgrim's Progress or uh, C.S. Lewis, Narnia, like where not every little thing is pointing out a little thing. It's to dr- drive home one point, as Jesus already tells us, which is great. I love again that he does that. And <clears throat> it's for us to take with us, what is the one point we need to carry home? What is that? And so we're going to look at it drawn out from the person and power of prayer. You know, Jesus begins this kind of in an old rabbinic way of teaching, uh, it's working from a lighter topic to a heavier one. You know, he, he tells this parable about uh, a judge in a certain city. Now, you think that the widow may be the focus, but actually the focus of the parable is on this judge in a certain city. And he, he works from this lighter topic to a heavier one. In other words, it's kind of like if uh, we use an illustration to get a bigger point across from a, maybe even almost a humor uh, type style. Sometimes you see this. Uh, Ted Lasso said this. Hey, and everybody uses this now. Hey, have a memory like a goldfish. You know, if you mess up in something, have a memory. You know what a goldfish memory is? And the, and the person's looking at him on the show. He's like, I don't know what a memory of a goldfish is. A minute? Who knows? Why does he tell him that? Because he wants him to move past. The lighter illustration of a goldfish memory is not very long is to be carried over into the greater principle of the person, if they mess up, move on, right? That's kind of where Jesus is going at. And I love that he, of all things here, uses an illustration, and I think this is where he goes. Why does he use an illustration of a judge, and he begins it this way, he neither feared God nor respected man. 
And he says that twice in verse two, and then in verse four, for a while he refused, but after a while said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. It's almost like he's showing a humor way of this person puffing themselves up. But you know what I think Jesus is doing? I think this parable is not only the lighter to the greater in this contrast of this judge, but I think Jesus is getting up underneath the way we, th- we think in the wrong ways that God responds to us in prayer. I think he uses this lighter illustration to draw out the ways that we think when we pray, this is who we think we're approaching so that he can correct and teach our hearts who we really are. Think about this judge. He doesn't care. In fact, the Greek about what this means when he talks about the widow's prayers is to belittle her. Just kind of say, oh, yeah, it, that's, that's okay, but I, I don't have time for this. How much do we feel like when we approach God that we feel that way about him? Maybe even in our confession, maybe when we're walking through the Lord's Prayer together, maybe you're like, yeah, this is a good tool, but does he really care? Do I need to pray for certain things? What do I bring to him? Man, I remember I was in a circle uh, when I was in college, and they were saying, any, any prayer requests? And I gave a request. Uh, I don't know, it was about something in school. And the person said back to me, I think it was one of my coaches or somebody who was in, they said, yeah, that's okay. Anything bigger than that? It was something like that. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but that's kind of what we think sometimes. What do we need to bring to him? Is he begrudging? Is God kind of begrudging? I mean, on initial read of this parable, the quick thing you think of, and you, you and I want to think of is, this widow keeps coming back to him, and he's like, ugh, please stop bothering me. I wonder how much of us in our heart of hearts think that that's what God thinks of us. That, yes, he's patient with us for a time, but but like we were with our own parents. Mom, Dad, hey, 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 I need this. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Is that how God is? Maybe you're afraid of him saying, is that all you have? Maybe many of us in this room are worried to even want to come to him at all. Because what we've experienced or heard is that he's not really that loving. It's hard to be approached. You know, Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer, and um, it's a fantastic book. It's pretty thick. But one of the things he really begins the book by saying is he says, a lot about like forms of prayer and what we think prayer is, is oftentimes more about us than it is about God. He says even the way that we approach God is to think that maybe we're approaching God instead thinking about him and what we want him to do so much and what we need in our circumstances that we forget who God is altogether. So that in many ways, we're oftentimes praying to ourselves. That's why sometimes when you may be praying, even during confession in church, or maybe when you try it, you may feel like, I keep saying the same thing over and over again. 
It's because we get so wrapped up in the discipline of prayer or the thought of what we need to say. You know what this parable is about? Is that God knows your heart. Why does Jesus begin with such a begrudging judge? Why does he begin about for those losing heart? Because he knows we do. And so you know what he backs it up with? He backs it up with our Father's heart towards us. Here's what he does. Not just from a lighter to a heavier thing in an illustration, but a major contrast. This is what Jesus wants us to see, is that there's a huge contrast in between the judge and, and who God really is. See, God doesn't want us just to not lose heart, but to teach us that he wants your heart. The person of prayer is this. It's not you. It's God. The person of prayer is that God is a person. He's relational. He's the God who calls us to himself. In fact, if you think about how this this parable is, one of the main themes is over and over this widow keeps coming to this judge and, and the judge just keeps pushing her away. What does Jesus want us to know? That God doesn't push away. In fact, he brings two. Prayer is about him bringing closer, not pushing away from. Uh, I listen to a podcast from time to time. It's a great one. When you hear the title, you'll be like, that sounds good. Managing Leadership Anxiety. <laughs> it's a great podcast for anybody. It's by this Australian guy named Steve Cuss. Um, funny guy. He actually uh, he was a pastor and became, um, I, I think, a therapist. I, think he's, I don't know if he has his doctor or not, but he's excellent. I love his stuff. One of the things he says when he, he talks about our faith is he says, oftentimes, what, we're, what are we holding on to when it comes to our faith? And where we go to and what creates so much anxiety in us is that the assumptions we begin holding rather than our relationship with God. See, what our faith can become is our assumptions about what God thinks of us, our assumptions about what God will do with what I bring to him, rather than what he's trying to tell us who he is that he wants us, that he wants us close, that he's not begrudging. Notice, the parable even ends this way in verse six. This is what Jesus wants them to understand. And the Lord said that the Lord, that is Jesus, hear what the unrighteous judge says. He wants the disciples to say, hear what this guy says, listen to him. And verse 7, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? If this is how an unrighteous judge who could care less about anybody is, how much more God who loves, who draws in, who will not delay? And I think one of the reasons we're so bored or cynical about Christianity is because we've gotten so hung up on the assumptions of our discipline and what we need to say is that we forget who we're saying it to. Is that in the midst of it, he wants us, he wants us to know us. This isn't an ambiguous view of who God is. It's that he's a father and we are children that he longs to hear from. And prayer isn't so much of us dragging God down to us. It's more of him bringing us to himself. I, I've 
Some of you make fun of me for this, and here's that illustration I'm going to use. Shark Week was last week. I love Shark Week. Watch it every year. I'm kind of one of those Shark Week nerds. Why is Shark Week? Why do I watch it? Basically, the shows are the same thing over and over. And my wife knows this. It's like, why are you watching this? They just retread everything. Here's a huge shark. Let's see how close we can get. What crazy things can we do? There's a guy actually on some of the shows. His name is Dickie Shivel. He is actually crazy. And, and they will yell at this guy from South Africa, and they'll say, like, get in the boat, Dickie, because he loves to jump in the water, not in a cage, but, like, with them. And it's a little bit like, okay, what, what do we need to do on Shark Week to get you to watch this thing? Well, he, he's the kind that gets in these, not a cage, but, like, a plexiglass clear thing. So, obviously, so when the shark's swimming by, it sees nothing but this human being, <laughs> And um, it's like, okay, let's tempt it, you know. Well, um, <clears throat> you, you know what's interesting about this sh- these shows is over and over in the show, the whole point is how can we draw these massive 15 to 20 foot huge animals near us? I mean, they're throwing chum in the water. They create new things. It's basically the same thing. How do you put a giant tuna head here? Let's get close. To, let's get in a clear cage and see if this thing gets as close to me as possible. And, and that's kind of what they do. But I think that's how we think God is. I think we believe, and as much as we, you're hearing me say this, that our prayers are a lasso to pull him down to us. And yet the whole point of prayer, the whole point of this passage is to draw us further to him, to show us that prayer is him drawing us to himself. That different than begrudging, more is he's saying, come to me, cry to me. How much more, right, will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night, saying, listen, his ear is attentive. And he wants that. This is the person of prayer. And the power of it is what's incredible because it drives home. And this is where I want you to start seeing the handles of what prayer is. Why a widow? (laughs) Of all things, he uses this unjust judge, and then he puts a widow in there. If you ever read the Old Testament, there's a fourfold uh, picture of whom God protects, the vulnerable. There's the poor, the orphan, the alien or sojourner, and then the widow. And these four, over and over and over again, in the Old Testament, even picked up in the New, are to say that this is whom the church, the people of God are to surround and care for. And yet, here comes a widow in this picture that seems like she's completely unprotected. In fact, the point of a widow being used here is why this Near Eastern person who would be oppressed, who would have no rights in court, and yet she's trying to find any advocate she can to help her in her situation against what we know as this adversary. It's because she was vulnerable. It's because she had no rights. In fact, if you read this passage, she has no power. Her only leverage in the entire parable is coming back over and over and over again. There is no strength that she has in this. 
And so the power of prayer is to remind us here, wait a minute, it's not our strength of pulling God down. It is coming vulnerable. It's coming weak. It's coming poor in spirit. If you want a really good book on prayer, Paul Miller wrote one uh, on prayer. And one of the things he says, very simply put, we don't need self-discipline to pray continually. We just need to be poor in spirit. You know, we always seem to have stuff in our hands. We always seem to have stuff in our heads. But what it means to come to God in prayer vulnerable, it means you come to him not with some formula. It means, you know what, maybe you bumble over your words. It means you don't have to have it right. It means you're speaking to a person that is calling you and doesn't need a formula for you. Think about any relationship you have in your life. How many really good relationships do you define by discipline? If I said said to you, you know, my marriage is really disciplined, you'd be like, that sounds great. Like, (laughs) real close. Y'all talk a lot. You know, like, that's not how you define a relationship. No, there may be disciplines in our relationship. But that doesn't define how we relate to each other, how we love to each other. See, why would we think that way with the Lord? Do you think God wants you disciplined or wants you? Do you think he wants something more out of you or wants you? This is what this parable is calling for. The widow has nothing. She's bringing her mess. She's pleading before him, I have this injustice, this wrong in my life from this adversary. God, can you do anything? It is this. And this is all God asks your prayers to be. I mean, we walked through the, the <clears throat> Lord's Prayer together, and I did that intentionally this morning again, So you can be reminded, you're supposed to take that with you to help you have an outline. You know why? Because the disciples right before that, they go, Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus so sweetly gives them this outline of prayer. Not so that we, and guess what? Most of us or many of us in this room may have read that and go, I have this whole thing memorized. So when you would read a line, you probably were keeping going in your mind. Our Father, heart in heaven, how would we? You know, you like you just kept running. But what if, what if we were to stop, slow down, talk, be with God? Even if you don't even know what to say, say that. Because He wants your heart. He knows your heart. What calls us and loses heart is when we think and believe that God either doesn't care or that he only cares because he wants this certain me. He brings you to himself in that way. And the widow, notice, and I've mentioned this a little bit and you heard this, the widow has an adversary and there is injustice in her life. And we don't actually know who the adversary was. The adversary didn't have to show up in court. Adversary's not there. 
I don't think this adversary is to be one-to-one correlation to the evil or Satan or anything like that, but I think what the point is is that we have injustice. Notice how many times injustice and injustice is spoken of in this. And if there's anything, any of us in this room, and even if you're here and you'd say, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, this parable is kind of cool, it's kind of interesting that Jesus talks about it, what we do know is that every single person in this room has incurred injustice in some level. It could be physical, it could be racial, it could be emotional, political, it could be a number of things. And I guarantee you, if we were to ask those who even in this very moment, which I can't imagine, I'm preaching this right now in a room where there's freedom, where in certain countries right now, there, there are just war-torn walls in like Ukraine, and places like that where people are hiding doing what we're doing right now. And wonder what justice, and we pray for that maybe, do we know what we're praying for? Because oftentimes I think we believe when we pray for justice and we don't hear back from God, we either take it up in our own hands or we say that God doesn't really care that much or he's saying, you need to do more. But what we need to hear from this parable is he may not take up, he may not take up our case right away Just because we don't see justice delivered in the moment, in the minute, doesn't mean it won't. And in fact, the most profound theologians that I've read are from those war-torn countries who say what has taught them most about God's justice and judgment and power isn't trying to deliver justice in their own hands, but knowing that one day, God will make everything right. And that he will do so. And that he does not look away from where we are. I mean, this parable is one of those that could in our hearts say, does God really care? It does poke at that part of us where we think, okay, I'm not seeing this. I've prayed this. I'm kind of done. I've lost heart praying for things. I've been there. What brings us back to praying for things that we see where injustices are in our own lives and around us is not knowing that the result might be right then, but knowing that we can cry out day and night because he will one day make it right. God will make it right. This parable ends in such an interesting way. Kind of ends in a really weird way, if you read it, the very last verse. It says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And for us, we may think speedily. The things I'm praying for, I haven't seen speed in God's hands from this. But then he goes on, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Some people are like, did someone else write that in at the end? That seems... Interesting. Now, you know what it's saying? The, word, the phrase son of man is from the Old Testament, and it describes the Messiah. And what Jesus is referring to is the second coming. That when the Messiah comes again. You know, every time we come to this table, you know what we're tasting? We're tasting God's heart for us. We're tasting the fact that he knows your heart, so he gave his body and blood, but we're also tasting the fact that he 
is giving you his heart. And we say a phrase every time, and I know you hear me say it. Even if you're here and you're like, I don't even know if I can believe it. Let this give you heart that he, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That is what this last verse is actually saying. If he has come and proved that he's willing to take up every injustice on the cross, so much so that he himself would be willing to be separated from his father. He never didn't have his father's ear. And yet on that moment, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we might have it. So that we would not lose heart. He allowed his heart to be broken so that we could have a taste of the Father's heart because we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again because one day he will and everything unjust will be tied up. Every loose fabric of wrong in your life and what we see around us that sometimes we ignore and shouldn't and sometimes we don't know because we're just like this widow and so helpless. He will do right. Because different than the unjust judge, (laughs) he laid himself down for you and for me. Praise be to God. Let's stand together.